I've been preaching in a series entitled Refuge, that God is our refuge. God is our safe place. God is where we go when we have a difficulty, when we need help, when we need strength. Uh, I don't know, uh, some of you are maybe new. This may be your first time, and so you, this will be the last message in that series. And I even prayed about, Lord, do you want me to do this last message, you know, in the series? Because we, uh, two weeks ago I was out at a Trinity preaching, and then last week was our prophetic presbytery. But the Lord said to me so clearly, this, we have to, have to, have to get this message. I believe this will be one of the most important messages that I preach to you. It is so important, and yet it is like, it's like it's so simple that we miss it. And because of, because we miss this truth in the Bible, Many, many lives get totally messed up because Satan understands the strength of this truth. And this last message is entitled, The Refuge of Relationship. Now, if you're new here, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. And, and what I want you to do is write down what the Lord says to you. I give you a lot of scripture. You can go back during the week and you can read over these scriptures in your quiet time. And you can allow the Lord to continue to speak to you. So that's what we want to talk about, the refuge of relationship. Everyone needs a refuge, and everyone has a refuge. Satan is trying to offer us every day a false refuge. And every refuge other than God is not an answer, it's a problem. You have to hear that. Every refuge other than God is not an answer, it's a problem. If you go to food as your refuge, it will become a problem for you. If you go to money as your refuge, it will become a problem. If you go to alcohol or prescription medication as your refuge, it will become a bondage. They promise you peace and comfort and safety, but in, in, in other, in, in, boy, I wish I could think of what I was about to say. They promise you peace and safety and comfort, but in essence, that's a good one, in essence, they don't deliver that. They give you bondage and misery. And so that's what we want to talk about. What is your refuge? Who is your refuge? And the purpose of this series is to help you choose God as your refuge every day and not choose something or someone else. And so we want to look at that today. We talked about a few weeks ago the six cities of refuge, and we read from Numbers 35. If you weren't here that time, get, please get those tapes. But Numbers 35 talks about the six cities of refuge, but also Joshua chapter 20 talks about it. So look here in Joshua chapter 20. Joshua 20, verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they, they, I want you to notice the word they, and they shall be your refuge. They shall be your refuge. Do you see that? They. Now, we're going to talk in just a moment about who they are. They shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they, notice the word they again, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. 
and until the death of the one who is, who, who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. And then verse 7 and 8 actually tells you the six cities of refuge that they appointed. And um, the names are real hard, so we're not going to read verses 7 and 8. Verse 9. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them. It was for anyone that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Now, I, I kept calling your attention to the word they. And the reason I did is because I wanted you to understand who protected the manslayer. Think about it just for a moment. There were no walls around these cities. These walls didn't have a, a, a moat around them. It wasn't like a big castle. These were strictly cities right there in the, in the six of them, three on each side of the door, Jordan, two in the north, two in the middle, two in the south, that God appointed to protect someone when he was accused of a crime. But there was, there was nothing physical about these cities that protected you. So who was your protection? Well, obviously we're all going to say God. But God uses agents. I want you to think about this. Every time we were, read the word they, it wasn't referring to God. They didn't refer to God. It referred to the elders and the congregation. The elders and the congregation. And isn't it amazing that it uses the word congregation, not the word inhabitant or the word resident? It doesn't say the residents of the city will protect him. It doesn't say the inhabitants of the city, those who live there. It says the congregation. Now, what I want is that every time I preach, I want you to be ahead of me. I want you to be thinking, what does this mean to me? And what, what, how, what does this represent? First Corinthians 10 says everything in the Old Testament was written as an example for us. I want you to be thinking, what does this represent? Let's say this person has committed a crime or been accused of committing a crime, and he can go somewhere and be protected, and the elders and the congregation are his protection. See, God is our refuge, but this is an important refuge for us to understand, the refuge of relationship with God's people. God protects us through his people. That's what I want you to understand. And if this manslayer ever left the city, he was fair game to the enemy. Fair game. Think about this. I, I'm not preaching about this because I want you to attend church for church attendance sake. You know, I don't want you to one day be able to, in heaven, you know, have one of those, you know, attendance pins. You walk around, look, 42 years, perfect attendance in church. And you have to kind of roll it up so you can carry it around with you in heaven. God doesn't want perfect attendance for attendance's sake. God says, if you want to be protected, get, amid, get among my people. The, the, wolf, the sheep that the wolf catches is the sheep that's on the fringe. Not the one in the middle of the fold. If I were you, I would just, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and just get right up in the middle of the flock. As far away from the wolf as you can get. Now, you know what I'm preaching to you is true. The wolf catches the sheep that attends every now and then. Not the one that's faithful, not the one that's right in the middle of the flock. There is protection through God and God's people. Even verse 5 is the word they again. They shall, they shall not deliver him. They, 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 and they, the, the manslayer shall dwell with them. Refuge was not a thing. It was found in relationship with God and with God's people. Now, 
Let me show you another scripture before we go to Acts. Matthew 22, verse 36. They came to Jesus, and it says this right here. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is, and one version says, which is the greatest? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, I want you to think about this, because we read over this a lot. Can you imagine someone is asking Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is the greatest commandment? How could we miss this? Which is the greatest commandment in the Word of God, in the law? Which is the greatest one? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. But then he goes on. And the second, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, watch this carefully, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, do you know what he meant when he said all the law of the prophets? The first five books of the Old Testament were referred to as the law, and the rest of the Old Testament were referred to as the prophets. In other words, Jesus said, when he says the law and the prophets, and he says it several times, when he says the law and the prophets, he's actually referring to the Bible. He say, well, he's referring to the Old Testament. There was no New Testament at that time. When Jesus was talking, the New Testament wasn't there. The only Bible they had was the Old Testament. And all those things where Jesus said, he said, just look at the Scriptures. They testify to me. You know what he's talking about? The Old Testament. Just look at the Scriptures, he called them. They'll tell you about me. And he's referring to the Old Testament. We miss so much in the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us all about Jesus. So this is what he says. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, listen to this. On these two commandments hang the Bible. Now, these two commandments don't hang on the Bible. The Bible hangs on these two commandments. This is unbelievable. Have you ever thought, you know, I wish God would just make the Bible simple for me? You might not have thought that, but I think that a lot. I just wish God would make it simple for me. I just can't, it's too complicated sometimes. Just make it simple. This is pretty simple. God says, love God and love your neighbor. Now, let, let me paraphrase this. Relationship with God and relationship with people. Relationship with God and relationship with people. You can't make it in this life without a relationship with God. And you can't make it without a relationship with God's people. See, that, that's the other part of it. That's half of it. That's the, I think that people that only come to the Sunday morning service and don't get involved and aren't in the life group, I think you're missing 50% of church. You're missing the barbecues and you're missing bowling and you're missing having fun and you're missing fellowship and you're missing building relationships so that when you need a problem, someone's there. At um, Shady Grove, where I used to be an associate pastor, we did a survey one time. Because we had a counseling department, and people were coming to the counseling department just by drugs, just all the time. Just, I mean, we had, I think we had at that time two full-time pastors just counseling people all day long, all day long. That's all they were doing. And so we started doing a little survey, and now, don't get mad at me. All we did was a survey. But let me just say what the survey showed. Ninety percent of the people that came in for pastoral counseling were not in a life group. Now, come on, think about that. Forrest Gump could figure that one out. Ninety percent of the people who needed pastoral counseling were not in a life group. You want to know why? Their needs weren't being met. 
and in relationship with God and, and, and relationship with God's people is where our needs get met. God works through His people. And this was the refuge for the person who committed a crime or even was accused of committing a crime. His protection was, yes, in God, but it was through God's people. I'm telling you, God's people will protect you from the enemy. This is God's design. This is God's plan. But now here's the problem. Satan wants to substitute. He wants to replace something else for relationship in our life. And so I want to go through some wrong replacements for relationship, all right? First of all, number one is things. Things. Now, I know I could have come up with a great big word, but that's the best word. Things. Satan wants to replace relationship with things. I want you to think about this. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eve, they're in paradise. Garden of Eve, they are in paradise, all right? Right there. And Satan comes and says, that apple, that piece of fruit will make you happy. Now, I want you to think about this. They're in a perfect society. Sin's never been there. They've never been abused by their parents. They never argued over who was going to do the dishes. Never had a problem. Never had a fight. Perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with each other. And Satan says, that thing can replace your relationship with God and your relationship with each other. They gave up paradise for a piece of fruit. And you say, boy, I, I just can't hardly believe that. I, don't, I just can't believe they substitute a thing for relationship with God and relationship with each other. Because, listen, when they sinned, they not only lost their relationship with God, they lost their relationship with each other. Because before that, they were best friends. After that, there was enmity between the man and the woman. And so I just can't believe they do that. Well, we do it all the time. We give up our relationship with God for a bigger house. We give up our relationship with God for for a bigger car, nicer clothes. Here's one. We give up our relationship with our family for $120 tennis shoes for our kids. Can I tell you something? Your kid doesn't need $120 tennis shoes if you don't have the time to play basketball with him. And there's nothing wrong with $120 tennis shoes, but if you have to work your tail off to get them, then there's something wrong. He'd rather have you than the shoes. We give up relationship for things all the time. And that's not the way God designed it. God wanted us to come to Him. God wanted two things. He wanted us to have a relationship with Him and a relationship with each other. God did not create Adam and Eve because He needed them. He created them because He wanted them. That is a huge difference, and we have to understand that. God doesn't need you. He wants you. And that's why He created them. And I'll tell you how much God thinks about relationship. He was willing to give up His only child to save it. Is that, is that, y'all should have said amen on that. I want you to bring your amen level up. Sometime when you're hurting, go in your garage and talk to your car. And just see how much it helps you through the situation. Just go in and say, I, I just need a hug. I've had a terrible day. <laughs> Things cannot replace relationship with God and relationship with God's people. All right, here's the second thing. Isolation. Isolation. You ever heard the saying, there's strength in solitude? That's a lie. 
There's no strength in aloneness. There's only strength in unity. You say, well, I just need to get alone. No, you just need to get alone with God. <laughs> you need to be with someone, and you need to be with God, and you need to be with God's people. Let me tell you Satan's picture of success. Satan's picture, his ideal of success, is a person in his house alone with his door shut saying, I can't trust anyone. I can't be vulnerable. I can't build a relationship with anyone. That is Satan's picture of success. He says, I've got him right where I want him. As long as I can keep him separated from God's people, I can keep him defeated. Isolation is not a good thing. Aloneness is the worst friend you can have when you're hurting. Now, is everyone in Acts chapter 2? Or did you put your marker there? Acts chapter 2, I want to show you, after the Lord Jesus paid for everyone's sins and then sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, I want to show you immediately what the people began doing. Watch this. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, I just want to stop. We're going to read on in just a minute. But I want to just notice something. Many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. How many of you believe that the world needs to see the power of God again? You believe that? Okay, well, I want to make a statement. We will have their power when we follow their pattern. We will have their power when we follow their pattern. And you know what their pattern was? It's, it was very, very simple. It was two things. They met twice a week. They met twice a week. Listen, they met in the temple and from house to house. This is the Bible. If I wanted to, and I didn't want to take the time, I could show you all through the New Testament where it says they met from house to house. They met in a house church. They met in this church. They met in this house. They met in the temple. Then they met in the house. Paul said, I taught you publicly and from house to house. Publicly and from house to house. They met in the temple and from house to house. That was the New Testament pattern. Now watch temple and house to house, relationship with God and relationship with God's people. All right, let's keep reading here. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I don't know if I, oh, I got it. Good. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Is that not a good model? That's a wonderful model. They believed so much in relationship with God and relationship with God's people, they actually sold everything they had to live for it, to find it. Because they understood my power and my protection comes from relationship with God and relationship with God's people. These two things, we have to understand that. The early church was so focused on God's plan and God's purpose that God applauded from heaven and poured out his power. I want to say that again. The early church was so focused on God's purpose and God's plan that God applauded from heaven and poured out his power. Did you get that? Coming to the weekend services is only half a church. It's in the temple and from house to house. And let me tell you something. I had this message before I knew we were starting life groups back. God had already given me this message back in July when I was in this series. 
that the fourth message would be the refuge of relationships. And I actually thought I'd finish it before the presbytery, and I I'd counted up my days wrong. And then when I found out there was going to be a two-week break, I said, Lord, you still want to preach this? And it's like the Lord said, yeah, it's the perfect time to preach it. Because they need to understand how important it is to build a relationship with my people. Here's the third wrong replacement for relationship. Unrighteous relationships. Unrighteous relationships. See, we're supposed to have a relationship with God and God's people. Unrighteous relationships. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Have y'all ever heard that saying? God thought of it. <laughs> Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. You cannot find refuge in unrighteous relationships. Now, I'm going to go, I'm, we're going to talk about this tonight. First, you don't have any turn to it. I'm just going to quote it. You can read it later. First Corinthians 5 says, if you have a friend and your friend says he's a believer, but he's involved in sexual immorality, drunkenness, or idolatry, don't even sit down to eat dinner with him. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm going to tell you again, don't get mad at me, okay? You, you, can, get, you can yell at God afterwards, all right? Listen, this is what God says. God says, if you have a friend who says he's a believer, but he's involved in sexual immorality, idolatry, or drunkenness, don't even have dinner with him. You say, well, now, why would God say that? Well, I can tell you why. Because God cares about that person. Listen to me carefully. God cares about that person. And if you go on and build a relationship with him, even when he's in sin, there are two things going to happen. Number one, you're telling him your behavior is okay. Number one, you're telling him, I condone your behavior. Listen to what you're saying to him. It's okay if you destroy yourself. I don't care about you. I don't care if you end up dead. I don't care if you lose your family. It's okay. I just, I condone your behavior. Listen to me. I'm not going to condone your behavior. I'm going to get in your face and say, you need to stop this because you're ruining your life. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. You're going the wrong way. I'm not going to build a close relationship with you and sin, but I will get in your face and say, don't go this way. Please don't go this way. Two things happen. One is, I'm condoning your behavior. Second thing is, I'm putting myself in jeopardy. My uh, pastor growing up put it this way, if you run with dogs, you're going to get pleased. What he's trying to say is, it'll rub off on you. Because I'm telling you what, you listen to me, if you find a, a group of people who will accept divorce, divorce will spread like fire, just like that. I'm not saying accept divorced people. We'll accept divorced people, but I will not accept the sin of divorce. And our church will not accept the sin of divorce, but we'll accept every divorced person, but not the sin. Because as soon as you get around someone who's divorced and who tells you it's okay and my life is better now, then you'll start thinking about it. And and I'm, I've been in ministry 20 years, and I'm telling you, divorce runs in groups. It runs in groups of people that accept it. And there are churches that will accept it, and it's all through those churches. And when that guy tells you that divorce is okay and my life's better now, I want you to go interview his kids. I want you to ask his kids how much life they're better, their life's better now. You say, well, what do I do if I have a friend like that? The Bible tells us what it says to go to him and plead with him, lovingly plead with him to repent. And if he won't repent, to take a friend with you. And if he still won't repent, take the whole church and beg the guy not to destroy his life. I'm not saying we're better than other people. I'm not saying we're perfect. I am saying, though, that I care enough about you that if you're headed for a cliff, I'm going to tell you about the cliff. A friend that won't confront you when you're in sin is not a friend. 
A friend that will not confront you when you're destroying your life is not a friend. It takes more boldness and more guts to say to you, I love you, man, don't go that way. Protection and refuge is found in the elders and the congregation. Now, let me just say something about this. You say, well, you're talking about not having, not having relationships with unrighteous people. Listen carefully to this statement. Don't forget this. No one's perfect, but everyone is pointed in a direction. Let me say that again. I want you to remember this. No one's perfect, but everyone is pointed in a direction. You know what I mean by that? I can't find perfect friends. I, I'm not a perfect friend. I can't find perfect friends for my kids. How many of us would like to find perfect friends for our kids? We can't, you can't do it. No, okay. So that's impossible. So what's the next best thing? No one's perfect, but everyone's pointed in a direction. The people that I'm going to be friends with are pointed toward Jesus, not away from Jesus. And the people that I'm going to allow my kids to be friends with are pointed toward Jesus. If there's a young person and he's not pointed toward Christ and he doesn't want to walk with Christ and he wants to do his own thing, he's not going to be around my kids. No one's perfect, but everyone is pointed in a direction. Do you follow me? So the people that I'm going to build close relationships with are the people that are pointed in the same direction. It's like we're going toward heaven. We're going this way. And the other guy's going the other way. How can you build a relationship with him unless you start walking backwards? Unless you, and then eventually turn around and go that way with him. Everyone's going toward God or away from God. The only people I'm going to walk with closely are people going toward God. But what, what about, what about unbelievers? Or what about people who are in sin? Matter of fact, when you, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light? Don't be unequally yoked. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. You say, I work with unbelievers all the time. Let me tell you what that means. It, it means don't go in with a holier-than-thou attitude. Don't go in critical or judgmental of them, but don't build close relationships with them. Let me put it to you this way. When they want to include you as a friend, don't let them include you in their group. You include them in our group. When they say, let's go to the bar after the work, you say, no, let's go to life group. They say, well, what's a life group? And you tell them, man, it's a place where we pray for each other and we help people be better husband, better father, better wives, better parents. We help people in their lives, help people to succeed. It's a place where you can be loved and accepted and talk about your weaknesses and your fears and someone's going to pray for you and help you. And that's a whole lot better than a bar. So we don't build relationships, close relationships with people who don't walk with the Lord, but we do build friendships with them. We do try to bring them into the kingdom of God, but we bring them into our group. We don't go into their group and try to win their whole group. Here's the fourth wrong replacement for relationship. Religion. Religion. Listen to me carefully. Religion's wrong. <laughs> you ever heard a pastor say that? Religion was invented by man. Relationship was inv invented by God. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to start a relationship. And religion, what religion says is I can go and just do, go through these rituals and go through these things, but I don't have to develop a relationship with God and I don't have to develop a relationship with people. I can stay in my sin. That's what religion says. Religion just helps you make feel, feel a little bit better about your sin, but doesn't make you change. God tells you to change. See, religion is an inat, is worshiping an inanimate object. That's what it is. It's praying to a statue. Or holding some beads in your hand when you pray. Or I, or I, and you say, well, you didn't get on us there. You got on so-and-so. Well, I, I, let me just keep going. It's a gold chain. It's a gold cross around your neck. Now, if you want to wear a cross, I, that's fine. That's fine. But there's no power in that cross. 
There's no power in a plastic Jesus you stick on your dashboard. You know, I was asking God whether to buy that house, and I tell you, thing winked at me. He said, "Yeah." That's religion. That's not relationship. There's no power on a fish on your car. That's fine to have a fish on your car as long as you don't speed. <laughs> what was that? I'm going to attend ever so often. I'll go there Christmas and Easter, and I'll just I'll just drop in every two or three months, you know, and wear my cross to work, and everyone will think I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter what everyone thinks. It matters what God thinks. And religion is a substitute for relationship. You will never find refuge and safety apart from a relationship with God and a relationship with God's people. Here's the fourth, I mean the fifth one, a wrong concept of relationships. A wrong concept of relationships. This hinders people from developing a relationship with God. Hurt from the past. Misconceptions. You know, I, I grew up in a church where everybody was old. And everybody was boring. And I grew up in church where you couldn't have any fun at all. And, and everybody told you to be quiet. Not just your parents. Everybody's parents told you to be quiet. <laughs> you know, now we got all these rules about disciplining kids. Man, when I grew up, the, the deacons would bust your rear end if you talked. <laughs> they, 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 sit down. Sit, you sit right there. When your parents get back, I'm going to tell them what you did. And you had to obey everybody. You had to obey every adult. But here's what they were always telling me at church. You sit down and you be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. This is not a place to talk. It's not a place to have fun. It's not a place to breathe. Just sit there. <laughs> and so you know what I thought? These people aren't fun. I'm going to find me some fun people. And as I got older, I started looking for fun people. And I found these people that laughed and had fun. The only problem was they smoked, they drank, they cussed, they were immoral, and they did drugs. But I didn't know. All I knew was they were having fun. I'll tell you what I found out after a while, though. They weren't that good of friends. They had anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and resentment, malice and even murder in their hearts, some of these guys. And, and I'll just tell you something. Lost people don't make good friends. They just don't. Because they don't understand love. They don't understand God is love. He knows not God knows not love. They don't make good friends. I'll tell you who makes good friends. Godly people. And you ought to say amen to that because you're talking about you. Godly people make good friends. If you don't believe believers are fun, just invite Brady over for a night. <laughs> you'll find out. You'll laugh just like you are drunk. I can tell you that. Unbelievable. Wrong concepts. Here's the last one. Busyness. Is this not a good one? What's keeping you from relationship with God's people? I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. Wonder, wonder who's keeping you that busy. I wonder who it is that knows that if you build a relationship with God's people, you're going to get a lot of issues in your life finally straightened out. I wonder who's keeping you so, just so, so busy. You know, uh, remember when Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house and uh, Martha had the gift of serving, Mary had the gift of sitting. <laughs> You know anybody has a gift of sitting? Some of your husbands have a gift of sitting. <laughs> Sit and watch you do the dishes. 
watch you dust the coffee table and tell you that you missed the spot. <laughs> okay, let's quit talking about that. <laughs> so Martha has the gift of serving. Jesus, uh, Mary has the gift of setting. But do you remember which one of them got rebuked at the party? Now, yeah, we should serve. But Martha was so busy, she didn't have time to listen to Jesus. That's amazing. Listen to this. God was in her home, and she didn't sit down and listen. God. How many of us would want that opportunity? God, sitting right there in her living room, and she's, she's worried about how the house looks rather than listening to God. You know what bothers me about us being too busy? Is we cut out the wrong things. Listen to me. This is amazing to me. I'm a pastor, and the only thing I care about is helping you. I could do a lot of other things. It's the only thing I care about is helping you. And people come in, and they, this is what they say to one of us on staff. I'm going to have to quit going to life group. Let me say why. I'm too busy. Would you think about that for a minute? God says, I want you to do two things when you're on this earth. I want you to develop a relationship with me, and I want you to develop a relationship with God's people. And we cut out this one because we say we're too busy. And you know what? Three to six, and I watched this happen 20 years, I watched it. Three to six months later, they're back in the office and they need counseling. They need help. And we say to them, you, you cut out God's people. You cut out God's refuge in your life, His source, His, His conduit for refuge in your life, for safety, for protection, for peace, for blessing. You cut out relationship with God's people because you said you were so busy and you thought that was going to help. Who would give you the suggestion to cut out relationship with God's people because you're too busy? Think about it. See, if the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you. And when you're looking at your schedule, how busy you are, you better put two things at the top of your schedule. Relationship with God and relationship with God's people. And let God take care of the rest. The people in the book of Acts that we read a moment ago were so in love with God and God's people, they sold everything to spend time with them. That's amazing to me. The Bible is more simple than you think. Jesus said, let me sum up the whole Bible for you. Relationship with God, 